Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Pet Boarding and Daycare Podcast, the show that shares the secrets to unleashing the next phase of your pet business growth. Get ready for exclusive industry news, inspiring owner stories, and expert insights for growing a super successful pet care business. It's all happening right here on the Pet Boarding and Daycare Podcast, sponsored by Barclay Productions. Now, take your seats because the show is about to begin. Here's your host, the pet biz whiz himself, Dominic Hodgson. Well, hello, howdy, hola, and welcome to the Pet Boarding and Daycare Podcast. I'm your host, Dom Hodgson, the Pet Biz Wiz. And in this week's show, uh, we're going to be talking to someone who has scaled up massively a luxury premium doggy daycare franchise. Uh, they have an amazing origin story. They've done some fantastic things uh, when it comes to like being premium and attention to detail and creating an experience. Uh, you're going to get so much from this episode. If you are thinking about scaling up, if you are thinking about um, you know just moving up the the luxury ladder and attracting more affluent clients, you're going to get so much from this inspiring episode. Uh, before we dive into that, though, I want to remind you uh, that coming up in uh, just a few days' time, actually, we'll have the March-April edition of Pet Boarding and Daycare magazine is going to be coming out. And if you haven't subscribed to the magazine yet, what are you playing at? Yeah, Go to petboardinganddaycare.com right now. Uh, to find out more about um, everything that's going on in the pet boarding and daycare world. It's full of industry news, awesome articles, and also has some uh, a sneaky preview of uh, some of the upcoming speakers at the Pet Boarding and Daycare Expo West, which is happening in Las Vegas uh, from May 20th until the 23rd. Um, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> uh, I can't wait for the event. Uh, I know everyone at Barclay is super stoked about their first um, big pet boarding and daycare expo of the year. So if you don't want to miss out on any of that info, and if you want to catch up on all the awesome articles that are in the magazine, go to petboardinganddaycare.com right now. Uh, okay, we're going to hear from our show sponsor, and then we'll dive straight into the meat of the episode. Have you ever considered selling your pet resort or partnering with a financial backer to help you grow your brand? If so, I want to introduce you to one of our exclusive sponsors, Pet Resort Hospitality Group. Founded by industry experts with the goal of building a family of the highest quality pet boarding and daycare brands, Pet Resort Hospitality Group ensure a fair price for your business, a seamless transition and long-term support for your team, and they'll protect your brand in the community you serve. Check them out at petresorts.love with a link in the show notes. They'll be happy to chat with you about what the future of your business could look like if you ever want to sell. And tell them your buddy Dom sent you. One of the things I wanted to cover in this podcast was a, the whole journey of the pet entrepreneur. So, Everything from starting out, scaling up, and selling a business. This is why we get different kinds of experts in who've gone through this journey. And they can share their their takeaways, their tips, um, their breakthrough strategies, their mistakes, and their inspiring stories about the journey that they've been on in their pet business. And 
today's guest is no different because he has uh, with his brother and with his whole team um, they have successfully scaled up their business no end um, but they've done it occupying a slightly different uh, segment of the market and they've, they've gone for, they've positioned themselves in the premium segment. Now, this particularly appealed to me because one of the things I'm known for is pricing and premium pricing in particular. Uh, I talk all the time about uh, how to transform your business by transforming your marketing and changing your offering by swimming upstream and intentionally targeting more affluent dog owners. These people have more discretionary income. They aren't as affected by cost of living crisis, rising costs, inflation, things like that. And they also, they are looking for something different and better and they are prepared to pay for it when it comes to their pet care. Why? Because it's if it's important to them, <laughs> whatever is important to them, they are prepared to spend a lot of money on. And most people make the mistake of thinking affluent buyers spend a ton of money on everything. They don't. They just spend money on the few things that mean a lot to them, that they value the most. And they certainly value their dogs, or the ones that value their dogs, these are the people we should be uh, targeting with our marketing because they're going to make our business way more um, sustainable and successful in the long run, okay? So they're prepared to spend a lot of money on services and experiences uh, that, like, you know, feed their emotions and make them feel good about the, the wealth that they've accumulated in their lives through their business or their job or whatever. Now, intentionally targeting these uh, dog owners, this is not what the majority of business owners do. Okay, the majority offer a good regular service to anyone and everyone. Um, and because the pet market is very buoyant, and we could even say it's been booming for the last you know, decade at least, uh, it hasn't really been a problem to just target anyone because you could still grow a great business targeting any kind of dog owner. And I think those times are changing now. I think there's a lot of belt tightening going on. And I think it's going to be... I think the, the pet businesses who have more robust marketing systems, like we talked about last week, and who have uh, uh, you know an elevated uh, experience, a story-worthy experience that is going to be attractive to affluent people, these are the people who are going to be continue to be successful in the future. So, so you may have picked up some amazing clients who buy everything you offer, who refer you all the time. They really value the service and they stick with you. They never bat an eyelid when you raise prices. You know, would you like more of those type of clients? Well, of course you would. <laughs> and, and you can get them if you are intentional about this kind of targeting and about the, the, the thought and the research that you put into your marketing strategy. Uh, now, it usually involves you doing something different to what you're doing right now, okay? It requires you to offer more of an experience. It requires you to use more and different kinds of media. It requires a greater attention to detail. It requires an understanding of what affluent buyers are looking for, okay? They have different e-factors that affect their buying decisions, and they want to feel like they're investing in an expert, you know, the top dog, the most exclusive. This is really important to them. So something that I practice in my own pet business, and I teach a lot. 
So I, this is what I help my consulting and coaching clients with, is coming up with an affluent, attractive marketing strategy. This is why so many of my clients have written books, uh, they put white papers and guides and all this kind of thing out there that position them more as the expert because we know that these affluent buyers, that is what they're looking for. Um, and, and I practice this right now. I practice it with my dog adventure business. I practice it with my consultant business. Um, my consulting services aren't for everyone because not everyone can afford them. You know, and I'm fine with that. It's, it's, it's good for me. It means that I only get the people who um, best help. Um, I am best equipped to help and who are going to be a perfect fit for me. And I practiced this way back almost 15 years ago when I started my dog adventure business too. Um, but we'll talk more about that in a, in a future episode of the podcast. So for now, we're going to dive into this interview with Stephen Parker from Canine Resorts. Now, Stephen is someone who has also embodied these premium values. He's built a premium franchise, which is a premium business and it has required him to have these premium values, provide a premium experience, and also charge premium prices. Here's the interview with Stephen. Uh, good morning. My name is Stephen Parker. I am the co-founder and co-CEO of Canine Resorts Luxury Pet Hotel. We are an award-winning, internationally recognized luxury pet hotel for dogs. Absolutely, yeah. And a whole lot more, as we'll find out uh, during this interview. Um, Stephen, let's start with the, the origin story, because y you guys have a have a, have a fantastic origin story. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. So uh, in 1999, uh, my brother and I were 14 and 12, and we always wanted a dog, and our parents were not really dog people. So we decided to start an in-home pet care, uh, dog walking and pet sitting business, had no intention of making it a career, but we just wanted to prove to our parents that we had enough responsibility to care for our own pet. So we started Canine Guardians Professional Pet Sitting in 1999. Um, it was an immediate success. We realized two things. One, that we found our passion in life, and that was business, and that was working with dogs. And two, that we were never going to get a dog, at least not while living at home. Uh, but we again, realized our passion in life. So we ran that company for several years throughout my time in high school. And then uh, during my freshman year in college, I attended a Pet Sitters International Conference where I realized that there were other people in um, this country that can make a living with a dog walking company. So I came home, told my parents that I wanted to pursue that full time. So uh, Jason and I took that the business full time at that point. That was in 2002. Um, and then several years later, we realized that if we wanted to continue to scale the business, that we felt a brick and mortar might be a little bit more feasible. So we uh, opened up Canine Resorts on January 30th of 2005, and uh, it was an immediate success. We realized that we were onto something. So after several years, um, we started winning awards on a local level, statewide level, national level, and we had been in business for only a few short years, um, and we were going up against competition that had been some had been in business for multi generations. So we said we're definitely on to something. We have to franchise this. So we franchised the concept in 2011, and uh, we spent the next several years sort of fine tuning and developing the systems and procedures. Um, and then in 2016, we did uh, we took on a private equity investment. Jason and I maintained majority control of the company majority ownership of the company, and we stayed on as co-CEOs. 
um, but it, it gave us the uh, financial and human resources that we needed um, in order to take the company nationwide. So we did that in 2016, um, and the rest is history. Here we are today with over 160 locations nationwide. We have 32 open, the rest are in development, and we just love what we do every single day. Fantastic, fantastic. Right, I'm gonna pick apart a few things what you what you talked about there. Um, First of all, is the the origin story. So I spoke to um, I, I met you at the recent expo we attended in uh, Hershey, and um, I, I I was chatting to Brian, um, one of your he New Jersey's in. Is that right? He is. He is the resort director of our flagship location. That's right. Yeah. And so I did a, a little mini interview with um, Brian that day, and um, and one of the things that he included in the thing was was this origin story, you know, and and like he. I don't know if he did it subconsciously or whether he did it like as because it's such a great part of your journey. And I think people like to people love an origin story. You know, this is why we love superheroes and stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Like they always retell the Spider-Man origin story. And and it, I think it all the amazing things that you guys have done and all of the different things that Canine Resorts do. I think the the thing that hooks people in is certainly hooked me in um, was that you know why you started it and how you started it and the brothers and it's kind of, and when then Brian repeated it it kind of it reminded me of like you know like how everyone always tells the Walt Disney story you know like of how you know it all started with a mouse and that kind of thing and I think it's like it's I don't know I guess it's a big thing that helps you put across your values and like to, to, to your clients and to your staff and everything else as well because you want people who especially for the franchise side of things, you know, you want people who are passionate about business and passionate about dogs as well, don't you? Uh, that's absolutely right. And and that's the thing is that, you know, if you just want to uh, make money, so to speak, you can buy any franchise. You can buy a McDonald's, you can buy a Chick-fil-A, you can buy anything you'd like. Um, but I think one thing that attracts uh, franchisees to Canine Resorts is passion and a passion to do things differently, a passion to do things better, a passion to elevate the industry um, and to your point, I mean, one of our uh, role models as, a, as an organization uh, is Disney. Um, another one is Rich Carlton, um, because they do things differently. I, if I can go as far as saying, I think they do things better. Um, and these are companies that we aspire to to be like. Mm, definitely. And so, so what makes you said you started to win awards when you started to go up against, um, you know, more established people in the industry and stuff. What do you think made that, what, what makes the difference or what made the difference back then? You know, what were you doing differently? Sure. I think if I had to boil it down to one word and I'll answer the question specifically in a moment, but if I had to boil it down to one word, I would say it's obsession. And we are obsessed with every detail that goes into canine resorts. There is not one single thing that we don't consider from the flooring to the ventilation to the uh, sanitation products that we use to the ceiling tiles to the light switches. Jason and I pick every single element. Uh, we test it and we test it again and retest it. And if something doesn't work or if we find something better, um, we'll implement that. And I think that's really what sets us apart is that every inch of our facilities have professional reasoning behind them. Mm -hmm. Wow! Wow! Brilliant! And okay, talk me through um, the first, the sort of if you can remember back then. I'm sure you can. Um, when you decided that you were you were going to take it further than just the one location, you know, talk me through like some of the challenges that you faced back then. You know, with scaling up. Sure, of course. So there's two of us, right? My brother Jason mm -hmm. and I. So we said, 
since there's two of us, why not? So there was a little bit of a, a friendly debate between my brother and I. I wanted to grow organically via corporate owned resorts, meaning resorts that we directly own and operate. Um, and Jason wanted to uh, grow via franchising. We hired a consultant and he said, you paid me all this money, but it's really quite simple to answer. He said, there's two of you do both. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes the easy answers are right in front of you. Um, so we really, um, I focus on the corporate division or the company owned division. Um, I'm in charge. That's why you see me Dom at all. Most of the industry conferences, um, I focus on the pet care aspect and G and, and the research and development for the pet care side. And Jason focuses on the franchising side. So Jason attends uh, many of the uh, franchising um, conferences. I attend many of the pet care conferences. Um, and I think it's allowed us to really both flourish, but more importantly, both do something that we love. Um, his passion is franchising and helping others realize the American dream of owning your own business and being your own boss. Um, and I just love the innovation um, and, and the pursuit of excellence, if you will. Um, that That's my challenge is uh, how can I make the uh, canine resorts better every day? So we both love what we do. And I think that's the secret sauce to success. Mm, definitely. No, it really is. Yeah. Um, and so at what stage did you get the business to before the, the private equity um, it, it came on board? So locations wise. Yeah. So before private equity came on board, I don't remember exactly to be quite honest, but I believe we had somewhere in the ballpark of 10 to 12 locations. So okay, yeah. we had opened up the original one in New Jersey. Um, and then we had franchised, we had a dozen or so. Um, and then we were introduced to the private equity firm. Um, we hit it off immediately. Um, and then they, they came on in 2016, about 10 or 12 locations is what we had. Right. Yeah. So, so it, it was pretty, uh, it accelerated massively at that point then. It definitely did. Um, from 2016 until 2020, um, we really, again, Jason and I knew a lot about business. We knew a lot about pet care, but we were relatively new to the franchising world. So our franchise partners, I'm sorry, our, our uh, private equity partners um, had decades of experience in business and finance and more specifically in franchising. So they really helped us to refine the systems and procedures. Um, and then right around 2019, 2020, we really started to experience significant growth. Uh, obviously, um, a little incident called COVID happened and, and really uh, affected the whole world. So we sort of saw a freeze on, on all development and all growth in 2020. But then in 21 and 22, we really came out of the gate running. Um, and the last, I would say, 24 months, we really just experienced explosive growth. Mm -hmm. So cool, cool. What, um, so taking off your, your own kind of canine resorts hat, what, what do you think the big differences are between, or can you tell me what the big differences are? What is required when you go from being a company that has, you know, one and then multiple locations to being a company who then franchises? What, what What's the big differences? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. Um, I think to answer it, if I could sum it up, franchising really forces you to work on your business, not in your business. And obviously, as business people, this is something that, um, you know, we try to speak a lot of, uh, about to, um, you know, people that are just getting into the industry, 
or younger people. Um, I speak a lot at, at high schools and universities um, on the topics of, of business and entrepreneurship. And I tell people all the time, if you can get to a place, obviously, in the beginning of any business, um, you have to work in the business. That's but a lot of hustle. Yeah, it is. It really is. Um, but then towards the end, or maybe at the end, but then once you develop and further refine the business, um, it really makes more sense to work on the business, not in the business. And I think that's something that franchising as on the franchisor side really forces you to do um, and forces you to focus on your cut. You still you're bringing on a new set of customers. So in the beginning, your customer, you have two sets, right? You have the two legged customer and the four legged customer. Uh, when you first start. And when mm -hmm. you go into franchising, now your customer, you still have the two-legged and the four-legged customer, but now the franchise owner is your customer. And all of the service and all of the passion um, and commitment and attention to detail that you put into your core business, you now have to put into those franchisees. So you really have to shift your focus, um, maybe not necessarily shift your focus, but you have to include or modify your focus to now um, understand that the franchisees are now your customers as well. Yeah, no, great answer, great answer. So, what what makes a what makes a typical a good franchisee then for you guys? Another great question. So, it's really someone, an individual who wants to follow a system. Um, if you want to make, um, if you want to open, and I use McDonald's just because it's such a well known, yeah. iconic brand. If you want to open up a McDonald's, a good franchise owner is someone who goes in and says, I can make Steve's hamburgers or you can make Dom's hamburgers, but McDonald's has been doing this for decades and decades and decades. They have a system and I'm going to follow it. I might not be the biggest fan of American cheese. I might love Swiss cheese as an example, but if I'm going to make a Big Mac, it has to have American cheese. And what I mean by that is that's what makes a good franchisee is in any relationship, no one's ever going to be 100% aligned or share 100% of the same feelings. Um, but as long as you're in alignment, 98, 99%, and the other 2%, you say, I might not agree with this particular idea or product or philosophy, but I'm part of a system and I'm going to follow it because I know that following a proven franchise is the greatest way to achieve success. That what makes That's what's what makes a good franchisee. So a lot of times we find people that have previously served in the military. Um, we basically want uh, soldiers, not generals. And mm -hmm. as long as, as we identify that person, um, those typically tend to be the more successful franchisees. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And what would, you, what would, what were the kind of big mistakes that you made? Um, if any, I'm sure there were, <laughs> um, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, always everyone, me today, lots. Um, what, what were the big mistakes that you made, you know, um, when you, when you were started to scale up? Sure. Um, I think one of the big mistakes is that and and this is maybe a, a good thing and a bad thing, and something that I was actually just speaking with someone yesterday, and I think that I continue to struggle with. Um, a big mistake is not wanting to make a system or procedure or product, what we call live, roll it out to the public until it's perfect. And although that couldn't be a good thing, right? Because people, to your point earlier, like Walt Disney or any great business mind, right? wants to make a product that's perfect. But if you can get to 98 or 99% perfection, right, you're still at an A+. Plus. 
So I think that was something that, you know, I personally struggled with was taking too long and waiting too long um, because wanting to perfect every single detail. Um, I think that another, so that's more on, on the business mm-hmm. side, the ge- generic business side. Something specific to franchising, I would say is a struggle is in the beginning, in the very beginning, um, it's quite expensive and quite a lengthy process to franchise. Mm-hmm. So you want to realize a return on your investment. So pardon me, you have people that come in that are looking at a franchise and it's really difficult to say no to someone who has a check for $50,000 in their hand after you've just spent hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on legal fees and marketing and advertising and trademarks. Um, and they're saying, Dom, I want to buy your franchise. Here's $50,000. And you have to say, thank you, but no, thank you. Uh, respectfully, I don't think that you would be a, a good fit for our system for whatever reason. Maybe we're located in New Jersey and you're in Texas. And although today we sell franchises in Texas, in the beginning we didn't because it would just right. be too far to support them, too far from our yeah. corporate base. Um, or we didn't think culturally they would be a good fit because they might be a great business person, a great entrepreneur, but you almost don't want too strong of an entrepreneur um, when you you know when you franchise because again you want them to follow the system. So I think those are some of the things that we've struggled with, especially in the beginning. Yeah, and I can identify with that. You know where sometimes people want to give me a big check, you know, and and it's not something they have a problem that I can't help them with or. It's just not a, you know, we're not aligned and it's, you know, for whatever reason. It, but yeah, it's a difficult, difficult thing to turn down. Um, but ultimately, you never regret it later. You might regret it at the time, but you never regret it further down the line. Um, one of the things I think you guys have done incredibly well, and this is something I I did in my own business, um, I'd be on a much, much smaller scale, but my own business and what part of what I kind of preach and practice and encourage my clients to do is occupy this premium space. You know, so you have a and and you are unashamedly um, to my eyes anyway, unashamedly kind of proud of like this is who we are, you know, and this is the kind of franchise and the kind of uh, business that we operate. And and even to the point of like, you know, the costs and stuff where you have it mapped out on the franchise part of your website, you know, it's like. If someone's looking for a cheap franchise like this, you're, you're not the option, you know, but and and. I want to know, I want to d- deep dive a bit more into this because it kind of ties in with the Ritz-Carlton stuff and the Disney stuff that you talked about earlier. And I wonder, first of all, was there like a switch? At what point was there some kind of a switch in the business where you either gravitated more towards the, the luxury um, high end or was it like that from the start? I don't know. You talked me through it. Yeah, great. Another great question. Um, yeah, no, it was like that from day one. That's what um, Jason and I both believe in. That's what we're very passionate about. Um, when we first started to develop Canine Resorts, again, we had a, an in-home pet sitting and dog walking concept. And we always used to preach that kennels are no good, that dogs go into kennels and they get sick or they're lonely or they're stressed um, or they come home dirty or all of the above. Um, and we were so anti-kennel. And then we start to realize kennels aren't bad. Poor operators are bad. And poor operators are giving the industry a bad name. So Jason and I traveled all over the country looking at all of the or many of the premium uh, pet resorts. And we said, what separates a pet resort from a kennel, right? It's like what separates 
a car from a Mercedes Benz or a Ferrari, right? There's cars, but then there's Mercedes and then there's, you know, Ferrari. Um, and we realized that it was several things. It was the flooring. It was the ventilation. Um, it was the cage-free aspect. It was the socialization, the group play aspect. But most important, it was the level of training that the staff was provided because you can have the greatest facilities in the world. You can have a Ritz-Carlton, um, you can have uh, Four Seasons, you can have a Disney property, but if you staff it with people who don't know what they're doing or don't care about what they're doing, it doesn't matter. All the fancy chandeliers and all the marble counters don't mean anything. If someone has an issue or someone has a question and they go to the concierge, they go to the front desk um, and they tell them to buzz off, right? So that doesn't that doesn't help anyone. So from the beginning, Jason and I realized that, um, and this is what I tell franchise owners all the time when they come in to, to look at a franchise. If you compare it to a car race, there's only, in my opinion, one way to win a car race. You have to have the best equipment and you have to have the best talent. If you take you or I, as great as we may be or think we are, right, and put us in a Dodge Caravan minivan, we're not going to win the race. Um, if you take Mario Andretti or Enzo Ferrari or whoever's the greatest car driver of all time um, and put him in, in, I'm sorry, I messed that up. If you take you or I and put us in a Ferrari, we're probably not going to win the race because we have great equipment, but we don't have great talent. We're talented, but not in the area of car racing. If you take Enzo Ferrari and put him in a Dodge Caravan, he's not going to win the race. But if you take Enzo Ferrari and put him in a Ferrari or whatever's the best vehicle, there's a very good chance that he's going to win the race because he has the best equipment and the best talent. So I think a lot of times when I see real success and truly inspirational pet care brands, they have two components. Um, and one is great facilities. They're clean um, and, and they really do a great job. They're, they're state of the art. But then even more equally important, or I think more important, is great staff who A, care about dogs and have a passion, but B, have industry-leading training. And when you have those two factors, in my opinion, um, it's a very high likelihood that you're going to succeed. Indeed, yeah. You're stacking the odds in your favor, aren't you, that way? But obviously, great staff, you need a good recruitment process, but you need to pay good wages too, don't you? So the, I think a lot of people, I think what, what, what you also grasped, uh, and I think a lot of um, very good pet care facility owners um, they, this is something they still miss out on is that the, the premium aspect of things, you know, they're often a premium service, but they're not charging a premium price. And it just, it, un, when you, when you get it right, <laughs> it, you know, I, I found with my business, it takes longer for the business to grow comparatively longer for the business to grow in your premium, you know, because you're fishing in a slightly smaller pool, aren't you? But it grows much more stable and successfully and sustainably. And, and that's why I've continued to do it with the coaching services and everything else and consulting that I do now. You know, it's like I, I know I'm fishing in a slightly smaller pool, but I'm happy with that, you know, because I can give people a better service. I can onboard them better. I can treat them better. You know, I need less of them. It's like it just makes for a whole better experience for, for everybody, isn't it? For you guys, I guess, for the staff, for the dogs, for the clients, everybody. 100 percent. And and I, I've heard you speak several times and 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 every time I'm more impressed than the previous. So uh, my hat off to you, um, you know, with your speaking and 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 with your your vision and everything that, that you preach and 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 I'm a firm believer in everything that you say. And it's very true. Um, you can't go into Ferrari and say, I really like this vehicle, but 
I can't afford it. So can we take the power windows away and can we take away the leather and, um, you know, that shiny red coat, maybe just put on one coat, no clear coat. Ferrari would laugh at you. Um, so, yes, we are definitely fishing in a smaller pond. But the good news is the fish that we're fishing for um, can afford it. Right. Yeah, and they're yeah, happy yeah. to pay the premium because they realize that um, what they're really paying for is peace of mind. Peace of mind that I want to go on vacation and I want to make sure that my dog is in good hands. I don't have to worry. I take care of my family and myself and my vacation and Canine Resorts takes care of my pet. And I think with your business, Dom, um, you know, it's someone that says, I really want to be successful. I want to grow my business. Um, I may not know exactly how to do that, or I may know how to do it, but there's some areas that I'm struggling that Dom has so many decades of experience excuse me, I'm willing to afford it. I'm willing to make the investment in my business. Um, so I, I think that our businesses are models and philosophies are, are quite similar. Indeed. Yeah. And I think a lot of people would benefit from if that's all you took away from this is like, you know, start swimming more upstream because it's, it just makes for a better, a better everything all around. You know, you, you, you leave a lot of problems behind. I think there are still problems, <laughs> but you leave a lot of problems behind that a lot of the, you know, more um the masses are, 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 are struggling with because of things like price Stephen, one of the things um you um you mentioned before about um going to conferences and and stuff um and I, this is something that i've um i've really enjoyed seeing in the last year that i've been coming over to the states and meeting more people the amount of um successful people who are there <laughs> sitting in conferences taking notes you know like people like yourself people you know people who've sold businesses you know i've spoke to a bunch of different people and i i consult with a bunch of different people like they they're looking for an edge you know they're looking for something they ob obviously they're there they're building relationships as well because that's a huge part of it but um yeah this is the pet boarding and daycare podcast so you know sell sell the listener on why they should be going to these kind of conferences and expos um you know wh why should they do it? what what are they going to benefit from sure it's a great question so you know everyone even if they're a professional even if they're a world class professional even if they're a world champion needs to constantly maintain, fine-tune, and improve their skills. Um, I know this is a podcast, so the viewers probably can't see it behind me, but one of the pictures in my office is, is Mike Tyson. And if you use Mike Tyson as an example, he's arguably one of the greatest boxers of all time. But he still went before every fight and trained and practiced and fine-tuned his skills and worked on his strength and his cardiovascular skills and his boxing skills and um, uh, for those uh, who are boxing fans, if you remember in the late 80s, or early 90s, when Mike Tyson lost to Buster Douglas, and that's the reason I have the picture um, uh, behind me, is because he was a far better fighter than, than Buster Douglas ever could have right. dreamt to be. Um, but the problem was he achieved, achieved fame and he achieved success, and he was more worried about uh, movies and uh, commercials and all of that, and he did very little training, and he got knocked out. And it was probably one of the biggest, I would argue, the biggest upsets in boxing history. Um, and my point is, you achieve a certain level of success in any business or any industry, and if you think that you're too smart, or you're um, invincible, um, or I don't need to go to that conference because hmm. uh, I have such a great established company, I've been doing this for 10 years, or 20 years, or 30 years, 
that's the moment where you should really evaluate your thinking. And if I can go as far as saying, and maybe this is the the, the New Jersey in me, the, that's the, the the beginning signs of a fool. Um, because um, as as long as I've been in the industry and all the successes that Canine Resorts has achieved, I'm smart enough to know that I don't know everything. And there are people like yourself and other industry professionals, my colleagues, um, that can offer benefits and what I call golden nuggets. So many of the times I speak at many of the conferences, but when I'm not speaking, um, I don't hang out at the bar. I don't um, go into the swimming pool or have a massage. Um, I go into other seminars, again, such as yours and, and, and other industry professionals, because if I can take a few golden nuggets and bring that home and have it spark an idea or a concept and implement it into my own business, um, it just improves everyone. A rising tide lifts all ships. So I would strongly encourage everyone to participate in industry conferences and trade associations um, because we're much, much stronger as a group. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, Steve, very quickly, coming to the end, what uh, what are the plans for the future then for you guys? I think we've really done a great job of focusing on sharpening the pencil, if you will, polishing the diamond. And, um, you know, I think we really at this point have a phenomenal product and a, a phenomenal service offering. And now we just want to sell it. Um, we just want to really educate the public, both on the franchising side um, for, for individuals who are interested in owning their own business and being their own boss about the Canine Resorts franchising opportunity, and obviously on the consumer side about uh, all the Canine Resorts that are hopefully opening in, in different markets across the country. So I think it's just an, an educational co campaign um, to make people aware about our brand. Fantastic. And where can people go to find out more about what you do? They can go to Canine Resorts, the letter K, the number nine, resorts.com uh, for the consumer side, and Canine, the letter K, the number nine, franchise.com uh, on the franchising side. Fantastic. Stephen, thanks so much for your time. I look forward to seeing you at the, the next conference. Same here, Dom. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. So there you go, folks. A lot of gold in that interview. I'm going to remind you of something Stephen said towards the start when he talked about Disney and Ritz-Carlton and when he said that these type of establishments, they do things differently and he thinks they do things better. Now, I always talk about doing different and better, being different and better. And Almost all businesses think they are doing things different and better than their competition, but often they're not. They're actually quite samey and they're quite average. But to target that like luxury end of the market, to, um, to offer a service that you know justifies the premium prices that you're charging, and to target that luxury end of the market, you really need to embody the values that affluent people are looking for. So thanks to Stephen for sharing his story and some unbelievable... Uh, scaling up advice that's it for this week boys and girls i hope you enjoyed this show on next week's show uh, i'm going to be talking to jeremy cohen from boston dog lawyers and jeremy's going to be sharing some key insights about uh how to have the proper legal counsel um waivers and licenses uh how to be transparent and what to do if something goes wrong in your facility so you can diffuse the situation before it escalates uh he's going to be talking about emergency protocols and the benefits of continuing education and training um so you can demonstrate that you have reasonable care and due diligence going on inside your facility yeah an awesome interview with jeremy remember if you haven't yet please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a nice review and you can also join 
join the Facebook group uh, Pet Boarding and Daycare with Dominic Hodgson Facebook group uh, where we share some bonus material in there and um, yeah, get some nice feedback from the guys too. So if you want to be part of the community, uh, go and find the Pet Boarding and Daycare podcast with Dominic Hodgson Facebook group. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Pet Boarding and Daycare podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, make sure you hit subscribe right away. And if you need more help to grow your pet care business, then reach out to Dom at PetBusinessMarketing.com.